0: Listeners are advised this podcast contains coarse language, themes of an adult nature, and inappropriate thoughts about boy bands. And inappropriate thoughts by boy bands, motherfucker.
1: Hello, Patreon people. Um, Today we're very excited to have with us uh, boy band enthusiast, musician, author, and writer of our theme tune, Chris Russell. Hello. Welcome.
2: This is very exciting. I've never been phoned into a podcast before.
1: Really? Wow.
2: That might be hard to believe. No, never happened to me.
1: I mean, we're doing it more and more often these days. So, yeah, you should feel privileged. (laughs) One day, one
3: day we'll get good at it. It'll be amazing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, don't, because that that will make it less interesting. Yeah, (laughs) it needs to remain raw. That's true.
3: That is very
2: true. There's already a rawness to this, which I'm quite excited about.
3: Excellent. Good. So the reason we've got you, Chris, is that in conversation, I want to say last weekend, maybe the weekend before, Amy dropped what to me was the most amazing nugget of news that I could have possibly heard at that time, which was... Relevant to the series of podcasts we're doing at the minute, which is the whole prestige management. I think we're, there's going to be six weeks of prestige management stuff by the end of it. Mm, yeah. And within that, the you know, the guys that run prestige management, Richard Rashman and Fletch, who put together all these amazing boy bands. And Amy dropped in the nugget that you had at one point been one of those young boys <laughs> that was invited <laughs> to the Intercontinental Hotel to meet Richard, yeah. which we will work up to. But tell us a little bit first okay. about how about your background in music, because obviously you're a songwriter, you're also an author. How did Where did that all start for you as a, as a youngster?
2: Well, I, I started a band with my best friend when I was t- about 12. That's uh, George, who is the that's singer
1: George. of our theme tune.
2: Yes, yes, oh. that's right. And um, and we did that all through school and through college, and then after we'd finished uni, we went. Let's give us a crack professionally.
3: What was uh, your band called? Sorry. What was your band called? Uh,
2: well, we, we 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 became the Light Years, and we still are the Light Years. But um, we had various other awful names uh, <laughs> been <laughs> consigned to the dustbin of band name history. <laughs> um, we, I uh,
3: think I think the band names that teenage boys choose are always yeah. incredible.
2: Well, uh, the, our first name we, we were initially called Forever, as in the number four, and then Ever.
0: Oh. How boy um, band? That's so boy it's band. So could,
2: could not be more boy band, <laughs> except that we thought we thought we weren't a boy band, but we clearly yeah. were. So did um, busted. So did busted. Yeah, exactly. It's a common thing. But uh, funnily enough, we were telling our sound engineer about this. In fact, Danny, Amy, you know Danny. He's my uh, favourite. He's, he's the best one. Yeah. Mm. And um, and we were telling him about this, and we said, "Do you think Forever was a good name, good band name?" And he went. Well, were there four of you in the band? And George went, "No, it's just me and Chris." And he said, "Well, then, then no, that's a rubbish name." <laughs> and so, which I think is a very fair point. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so we were called for, we'll call that. But not for very long. Um, and that also did very little to dispel the playground rumours that we were lovers. So we uh, mm. we, got rid- Ooh, we got rid of that one. And, an um, early Larry, Larry Stylenson vibe. Yeah, sort of, I suppose. Mm, mm. But it was more of a kind of schoolyard sort of. Ah, you were in a band together. You must be, you know.
3: Yeah. How weird though? Who could? Li- um, where were we talking um, now? Like the late eighties, mid to late eighties. No, we're talking sort of more mid. Early to mid '90s. So like oh, okay. So it was 90s. quite boy bandish. I'm just kind of thinking when the, other than the boy bands I liked when I was in my teens at school, you, it was kind of a very heavy rock period. And you probably wouldn't have looked at Metallica and gone, well, they're definitely go. <laughs> <laughs> no, but who you know, who knows? Um, I, don't think, I
2: don't think they've commented officially on the subject, have they? Um, <laughs> But uh, anyway, yeah. So, so we we are the the name we settled on for most of our our, our school days were, was um, promori, which we got from we. This is how uncool we have always been. This <laughs> is came it from Latin. F- it is Latin. Yes. Mm. Uh, it's very good. It's it's from a First World War poem because oh. <laughs> we were studying war poetry because that's what you do at school. Um, and, and we were really into it because we were geeks, basically. And um, it's a, a poem by Wilfred Owen uh, called "Dulce et Decorum Est. Uh, and um, the, the closing couplet is "Dulce et Decorum Est pro patria Mori," which means um, it is a sweet and fitting thing to die for your country, which is included with considerable irony obviously mm. uh, but we we looked at this and we were like no we weren't we didn't study latin because the school we went to wasn't posh enough to do it so um <laughs> we just looked at that and went well if pro patria mori means to die for your country then pro mori must mean to die for we we're like well, that's quite a cool name um <laughs> it's
1: so it's so emo
2: i <laughs> know it, it is isn't it this is pre-emo you know yeah. also we weren't emo as people that's the problem and actually it was actually more emo than we, even we thought because yes. i um, shortly after we, we came up with the name i um started going out with a girl who did go to a posh school who did study latin oh. and she said your name doesn't mean actually mean anything in latin it's like grammatically bankrupt oh. uh, but if it did mean anything it would mean for death which is even more emo than to die for it really
1: is and also a very good name for a rock band i would say yeah.
2: well yes exactly uh, oh. we 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 also like pro mori because if you if you squint at it from a distance, it looks a bit like Bon Jovi. And right. That's who we wanted to be. So, um, See,
3: I think it's a very good name for a car. I think yes. if you were to hand that over to uh, a Vauxhall for their next people carrier, the Vauxhall Promori would do incredibly well. <laughs>
2: that is inspired. That is good. Although maybe, to... maybe
3: calling a car for death.
2: Maybe. <laughs> yes. You'd have to keep that on the (laughs) download, wouldn't you? Not quite the right message.
3: Chris, how did you go from your boy
1: band roots at school to what you currently do now then?
2: So we, I mean, we always made music and recorded albums and stuff when we were kids. And then we went off to university and, and sort of in different cities, but kept it going throughout that. And then when we finished university, we moved back home with our parents and went, let's try and make it as our career and then over a period of years of playing you know hundreds of, of gigs in tiny clubs mm-hmm. um we eventually built it up into a into a becoming professional band and and in, in the midst of that we became the light years and um and then in the midst of that whole period is when we when we met um richard
3: okay or, so albeit
2: how, fairly br- briefly
3: how did how did that invitation come about then to, to set the scene for me <laughs> so <laughs> It was, I think. <laughs> I'm obsessed, Amy. Stop laughing at me.
2: <laughs> I I think it was around 2005 because Room on the Third Floor came out in 2004. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it was, you know, it was um, long enough after after the the album was released for for McFly to be a fairly famous band. So this is a time when we were sort of this is before we had. Um, uh got much traction with industry but we had we'd had a few bits of interest here and there but not a huge amount so this an email dropped into into our inbox um saying it was really short and really like uh uh not it didn't even have punctuation in it. it was just like hello i've heard good things about your band can you send me a demo oh
1: um
2: and i i'd had i'd, I'd been in the industry long enough to be automatically a little bit cynical like most most management figures who hang around the music industry are like yes. a bit a bit shady yes. and have not got a lot going for them so I just kind of you assume you know we were sort of probably 20 24 25 by this point so we like we kind of assumed it's probably nothing but you always follow everything up
1: oh yeah
2: um and actually I so I, I then googled his name and, like, my my jaw hit the floor when I realised this is, like, McFly's manager. This is a proper person who's, like... So
1: this was at, Richard Rashman?
2: It was Richard, yeah. Um, yeah. And so I then said, yeah, absolutely. Got straight back to him, you know, where, where do we send it? And he then replied with uh, the, the, the address of the hotel, um, <laughs> which I thought was a bit unusual because you're kind of expecting the <laughs> London office. Um, I didn't know at the time that that's just where he lives when he's in London. Yes. Um, but... I I also knew having spent a few years trying to get sort of industry interest and meeting a few managers and sending things in. I also knew that if you send something, if you're just some lowly band and you send a package to a company like that, it's probably going to get lost. And the person who wants to see it, who's requested it, is never going to see it. So I I says, George, right, we're going to go today. Straight away, we're going to put our little press pack together. Like you did back in the day when it was mm-hmm. a physical thing that you could hold in your hands, um, and we're going to take it to the Intercontinental Hotel, and if possible, put it into his hands, um, just because, just to maximise the possibility that this might turn into something. And uh, so we did that, and we went we went to the hotel. And it was just, it was actually just a fun day out for us. <laughs> Apart from anything else, we were like, wow. When we went to the reception of the hotel and um, handed them and, and just said, oh, "We're here to, to, to drop this off for Richard Rashman in room." whatever number it was, which I have a feeling you might know. Do you know?
1: <laughs> no, but I suspect it started uh, it with a seven three. Some... No, <laughs> it was seven something.
3: I'm sure. I could look it up and find out for you, Chris, if it's going to give okay. you sleepless nights.
2: Well, I think, I think I'll think survive. But if you if yeah, if yeah, you happen to find out, it'd be interesting for when next time I tell this anecdote <laughs> in the pub. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so so he uh so we sent, sent this to the to the reception, we've got the package for for Richard Rashman. Just sort of expecting that to be where it ended, but then he he said, I'll, I'll I'll call up for you and so he spoke he called the room and then he said to us, Oh, Richard's in, he said just go on up. Oh. Which which felt it felt like I don't know if have you ever flown like business class or first class. Mm. You know when you step on the plane and they say, turn left, and yes. you're like, that's the best sound I've ever heard. <laughs> to,
1: be, to be quite cl- um, honest, Chris, it's happened to me once, and I was with Zoe at the time, so.
2: Oh. What a coincidence. I know. <laughs> Were you off to like a podcasting convention or
3: something? <laughs> we'd, no. we'd been to New York to visit Donnie Wahlberg, and we flew home business ah, class. Yeah, that we is. did,
1: yeah. Courtesy of Zoe's Air Miles, I think.
2: Of which Very I have many. Nice. <laughs> right, so you'll know this feeling. So you know they, we were not. We didn't go there expecting to end up, you know, being invited up. We just thought this is the the best way we the best way we can get our package into the right hands. Yeah. But um, yeah. So we said Richard's in. He says, "Come on up." So we went up to the room and and suddenly found ourselves sitting in in the you know the famous suite in in the hotel mm. and um and then uh, it's weird because this is kind of fifteen, nearly fifteen years ago. So. I don't really know how much of what I remember of that meeting is actually real or yes. how much I've just created in my brain.
3: That's OK. We'll um, take either version. Can, can we it, start it, off with you describe... Because when you Google Richard Rashman, yeah. no photographs of him exist. So I'd like to start with a description of Mr. Well, Rashman. If you walked in and he was in a towel, let's not go into that detail. <laughs> <This> is
2: <laughs> thing is, I, I, yeah. part of the problem is I can't really remember because... Oh. I think partly because, like I said, there aren't any pictures of him. So mm. if I Googled him after that, which I probably did, there would have been no way to confirm in my brain. And so 15 years ago, I mean, someone you met 15 years ago, I, yeah, don't, I remember him remember. being <laughs> a human man. I mean, yeah, he had all the requisite <laughs> limbs. And... So
3: uh-huh. he's a bit uh, like a superhero, really, isn't he? That he definitely exists, but no one really knows who he is. He's like yes. the superhero of boy bands.
2: Exactly, yeah. He's he, he's, a, he's definitely he's quite a mysterious figure. And I think he he presumably has partly manufactured this himself you know he doesn't want to be a public figure Fletch is a public figure right and then yeah. He is, yeah the more the business guy in the background but anyway so I wish I could help you out on that but I can't <laughs> I remember him having dark hair but that may on that I really couldn't attest to that having any validity <laughs> it's just just what's in my head and I remember him being not that tall but then I think we were sitting down a lot of the time so <laughs> it's not I mean. I should probably prewarn you. There's not a lot of juice. There's not a lot of meat to this story. <laughs> it's like having it's
3: like when you have dinner with me because when I'm sat down, I look really tall, and then when I stand up, you're like, oh,
2: yeah. So, so we we and I mean, basically, I, I don't. It, we were probably only there for half an hour, forty minutes, but it feels in my head like it was two to three hours.
0: Mm.
2: Um, uh, which is is probably an exaggeration, but. but we basically we, we went in and we had a little demo with us and we sat down and we probably exchanged pleasantries and um, he, he put our CD on and because uh, it was you know CD mm-hmm. uh, back then and um, and he listened to, listened to the music and he like he seemed to like it but he didn't I don't think he was necessarily blown away by it mm. but he kind of but fa- fairly fairly early on in the meeting he said the thing is you guys are too old oh hush. Um, Hush. Which yeah, which um and part of me thinks part of me wonders why he didn't just ask us how old we were before before that. Because <laughs> yeah. clearly this ruled us out. The fact that we were in our mid twenties meant we were like a decade too old for, for the, the Richard Rashman pop factory. Um <laughs> and I I kind of I didn't know then what I know now about how the bands were put together and the fact that he was effectively auditioning people kids, boys who were like, you know, fifteen, sixteen years old. So in retrospect, it makes sense that we were too old. But I remember hearing that at the time and going, oh my God, you know, time has run out. (laughs) Like (laughs) 25. I've got got so much to give. But Richard Rashman, who knows what he's talking about, is telling me I'm too old. But there was was something he said to me which has stuck with me uh, ever since. It's one of the wisest things I think anyone has ever said to me about the sort of uh, the commercial side of pop music. He said a band to succeed, a pop band to succeed, needs to have... At least just one thing at least one thing but not necessarily more than one thing about it that is extraordinary so um now I, he didn't phrase this this way at the time but i've always thought of it in in terms of top trumps do you ever play top
3: trumps i love top trumps i'm gonna i want to do a boy band this is Trump. progressing here i want to do boy band top trumps when we finish the podcast yeah you're gonna you bring should. out a set
2: boy band top trumps is, is 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 perfect it would be it would be great <laughs> um because so it, it fits into what i'm about to say which is that not every to, to 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 succeed as a band, you don't have to be a ten in every category of whatever the top trumps would be. Now, some people, a, a select number of bands, let's say I don't know, Queen might score almost a ten in most categories, but most bands, considering how many you know uh, bands have hits over the the course of let's say the last forty fifty years, clearly not all of them are going to score ten in every category. But what Richard Rashman was effectively saying was to be successful, a band has to have at least one 10 or a nine, at least one nine or a 10, something about them that is extraordinary and that really sets them apart. Mm. So he, the, his, the reference point he made at the time was Keane, who obviously they're not a boy band, but, and I, as it happens, I'm really into Keen, I'm a big fan of them. And he was talking about how Keane's thing, the thing that really sets them apart is uh, Tom Chaplin's voice. He sounds like, um, like a choir boy on acid. Um, that's, that's not Richard Rashman's quote that's from something else but like no one really sings like him because he's got this kind of rock he's got, he's got a, a sort of rock power but he sounds like a choir boy mm. it's, a really, it's really unusual and they have really good songs and they've got an interesting sound but it's that that really elevates them above other bands whereas say a band like I don't know The Libertines they've got they would score like nine or ten in, in coolness and hipness like they, there was a scene around that band and um, part of the attraction of them, part of the reason they're successful is that people were drawn to that their kind of essential hipness. Um, and so he was sort of effectively saying to us, you know, you don't, you don't need to be a 10 in every category, but you need to have at least one or two categories that's like a 9 or a 10. And I thought, actually, that's a really interesting way of looking at um, what makes a pop band successful uh, because obviously clearly not every band um that that has a hit is as good as queen but they'll ha- they'll ha- they'll have something that sets them apart and it might yeah. be it might be the songs it might be the image it might be the quality of the vocal it might be some something to do with a some some pr angle mm.
3: so did you um, walk away from that and and decide this is going to be our 10 or, well, or or did you uh, walk not away really go in uh, shit we haven't got a 10 well
2: i think this we just we i mean we were too young really to kind of uh, to, be, to be objective about ourselves. Um, but that's more something that over, the, over the, the, the years since, I've thought that's a really kind of wise thing to say yeah. about, about pop music and about, um, about sort of success. But I did also think at the time, yes, I wonder what our nine or 10 would be. Uh, I think as a band, we've always been really good all-rounders. That's why so we do, a lot of our work these days is in private events and playing parties and corporate yes. events and stuff. And actually being a really good all-round band is really useful if you are, if your job is to make everyone have a great time. Yeah. Um, but if you want, perhaps if you want to stand out in a saturated marketplace, creating your own music, then you need something that's gonna kind of capture the imagination in a different way. Yeah. Um, I mean I may I may be over intellectualizing something that Richard Rashman said as a kind of throwaway comment 15 years ago I can't remember <laughs> but it did stick with me. It makes um, sense
1: though. It makes really good sense. I yeah. think yeah there's a lot to be said for that and it it can be related back to boy bands as well I think quite yeah. um it translates across. I think uh, take that uh, 10 would be well they probably had two which was mm. Gary and Robbie. Yeah. They were both tens in terms of their talent and performance, etc. So. Yes, I think
2: take that. Take that. Have have one of their top trumps is songwriting, and that is rarer in boy bands. Yes, uh, or it, it's not. It, it's it, it's certainly not. You don't have to have great songs. That will last the test of time to be successful as a boy band. Whereas Take That do have that. Or, you know, or they, they, they yeah. don't
1: have to self-write them to have. Because no, a lot of boy true. band hits, like massive boy band hits, like Bye, "Bye Bye Bye" by NSYNC, will probably be a boy band anthem forever. But they didn't write that.
2: Yes, yes, that's true. Mm. There's something that there's a level of authenticity, I think, for take that because it comes from within the band itself, right? Which is which, and that's quite unusual.
3: And and that was one of Rashman's skills, wasn't it? Was that he he did within his bands he did encourage them to songwrite with Fly and Busted more so. But yeah, I've literally today been doing the research for our next boy band, which is V, which was his last boy band, and within that they were encouraged to songwrite as well. So
2: yeah, well, I actually think that looking back on it now. Not that there's, there's really any way this necessarily would have happened, but I think if Richard Rashman had discovered me and George at the age of fifteen, then instead of saying you guys, are, you guys are great, but you're a bit old, and you know, it might he might have taken us under his wing in the way that he did with lots of other young yeah. young performers, mm. and said, right, here's are the things that about you that are good. Here's the things you need to work on. Go and sit in this hotel room for two years and write some good (laughs) songs and out of those
3: thousand songs five of them might be good yeah you know i don't but he don't i think he actually did it the other way i think he looked at someone and saw the thing that was good and told them to go away and work on that like he found he found their seven or eight and encouraged them to go away and make it a ten yeah, that makes sense. Which is which is what he did with with Tom, um, with and James Dougie. and Matt, and Dougie, and, yeah. and with Dougie, he sent him away to go and learn these tracks. We'll have you back into audition again. Yeah.
2: yeah, interesting. Okay. Well, funnily enough, there's one other thing I wanted to mention, which is that um, uh, we we I don't think we'd quite reached songwriting maturity when we met him. Mm. And there's a song that we wrote, probably not that long after we met him that i think he probably would have really dug because it's probably our most mcfly sort of song Mm. which is a song called emily which is written um about george's younger sister which then became our most popular song with our fans um and emily was sort of it was a real sunshine classic pop song quite similar to something like obviously yes and um we as a result of that song we got we got Discovered by a producer called Hugh Padgham. Now, do, do you guys know your production?
3: I is the... Hugh Padgham the guy that used to work for Stock Ake and Waterman and did? No, ignore me. I'm, that's Phil yeah. Harding. Don't worry. Yeah, <laughs> the same initials, but the other way around. Well, it in a way, I'm
1: well, Hugh Pagman though. Yeah, I think we've come across him somewhere. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, I'm glad you say that because Hugh Padgham, um also produced uh, another album which is fairly relevant to the discussion we're having right now i wonder if you can guess which album that is
3: oh, fucking hell. is it a,
2: a, can we have to is, is it a
3: mcfly album
2: it is yes is it
3: wonderland
2: no it, it's room on the third floor
3: oh he did the first one okay
2: so he, he i mean he don't i don't think he did all of it but he certainly did a number of tracks including obviously so, so it's so it's just. I mean, it's a, it's an interesting quirk that we the Len went on to work with McFly's producer a couple of years after that, um, and the, the the sound that he that he created for us on on Emily, which you can find on Spotify, is you know quite similar to the sound that he created for for McFly and that on that sort of first album. Um, you're
3: you're so boy band adjacent, Chris. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that's such. That's probably the highest compliment I've, I've ever been ever received.
3: I've just had a
1: look at Hugh Padgham's Wikipedia page. Yeah. There's a list of artists for whom Padgham has produced or engineered. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to read out some highlights. Not all okay. of them, because there are so many. Yeah. The Bee Gees, David Bowie, Kate Bush, Phil Collins, Sheryl Crow, Peter Gabriel, Hall & Oates, Human League, Elton John, The Light Years, Woohoo! Madness... <laughs> Paul McCartney, McFly, Mike and the Mechanics, oh. The Police, Sting, it goes on and on and on and on, Frank Zappa and the Light Years yeah. are in there. He's
2: um he is he is um he sort of created the 80s, Hugh Padgham. In fact, <laughs> you know in the air tonight, the yeah. yes. song. Um and it's got that incredibly distinctive iconic drum feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of that that was that was Hugh Padgham's like his central moment he cre- he he sort of was the first producer to really get drums sounding big and amazing. and um, uh, It's called so the he, gated you know,
1: drum sound. The
2: gated drum sound, yeah. <laughs> it was, I mean, without getting too geeky, I, th- I believe it was created almost by accident. I believe that they were recording a drum track um, and it accidentally got fed out through the, you know, the microphone that the producer speaks to the um, yes. p- performers through, which is a, 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 a quite a lo-fi uh, system. I think, and I, I'm probably getting this totally wrong. And Tony, who's a drummer in, in the light years, who knows about this stuff, if he was listening to this, would probably be cringing. I'm probably totally butchering <laughs> this anecdote. But I think they accidentally recorded some a drum track through that sort of microphone and it had this gated effect on it and it sounded really cool and crunchy and amazing. And that, so by sort of by accident, then they created this 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 drum sound, which then became the Hugh Padron drum sound, which then became the 80s. Uh, drum sound and, yeah. uh, and then you know and then he went on to work with you know all these huge artists including um, the light years and then in, in, his, in his darker days he ended up working with us yeah, yeah.
1: No. <laughs> no wow that's amazing that's really interesting
2: anyway that, that, that was just an interesting uh, s- splinter uh, story to, to the McFly thing we ended up having that connection and, uh, and yeah. of course Tom is now a, um, a children's author um, yes yes we're actually so
1: I letting you into a secret. Tomorrow, we're going to his book signing.
2: Amazing. Mm. Um, yeah. Well, uh, I uh, I haven't. I am an author as well um, for 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 teens. I haven't um, yet bumped into him at a. At a, a, a publishing event but I'm sort of hopeful that at one point I might might be able to say like hello we're connected in all these ways that will mean nothing to you but uh, (laughs) (laughs) quite interesting but I tell
3: Um, it down the pub all the time exactly do you you want to remind our listeners what your books are called Chris we do plug you every week but Uh, it'll sound even better coming from your mouth uh,
2: that's very kind of you, thank you. So the trilogy of novels are called Songs About a Girl, and they tell the story of a, uh, a teenage girl called Charlie Bloom who finds herself taking backstage photographs for the world-famous boy band Fire and Lights, and uh, shenanigans ensue from that. And uh, uh, the uh, we, we actually released, well, as you will know, uh, as you will have mentioned, uh, <laughs> we released a single, a, a quote single by quote Fire and Lights, uh, called dance with you which you can find on spotify and you can listen to on this show every week a little every tiny bits of it so. we're incredibly
3: yeah. grateful for you allowing us to do that yes so. thank well, you I'm, very
2: much. Much. I'm incredibly grateful for uh all the marketing all the uh the, i i'm assuming most of my plays come from you guys so that's very that's very good <laughs> of you, thank
1: you we've heard the song once or twice we will say that
2: <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs>
1: Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on and chatting to us. We definitely want to have you on again for our wider audience to talk about your boy band love and your favourite boy bands and how you got involved with one of the biggest boy bands on the planet. Because like Zoe said, you're very boy band adjacent. We love it.
2: (laughs) I love it. I might put that on a (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt.
3: Oh, no, let me. I make T-shirts. I will make you a a boy band adjacent T-shirt.
2: Amazing. Deal done.
3: Uh, <laughs> okay. And I will
2: see you guys on a podcast very soon. Yeah, Thanks so great. much,
3: Chris. You're a star. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks a lot. You. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Little sister walking by with a look in her eye. I can't what she's saying. I'm going out with all my friends tonight See we got drinks to buy And parties to attend When they laugh a lot at the things that I say. Emily, I'm sorry, but just fooling around. the smiles and tang got a brand new plan most all of the time Since i've got some other flames to fan see not quite every man is eating out of my hand emily i'm sorry we're just fooling